Welcome to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is Art Keller. He is a former CIA case officer who was attached to the Counterproliferation Division, which is the part of the CIA that is in charge of spying and counter doing sabotage work against the Israeli nuclear program. He has written a book called Hollow Strength, a mixture of, we'll say, fact mixed in with a little bit of fiction to give a story that would uh, tell maybe exactly what's going on in the Middle East, in particular in Iran. Uh, Art, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you coming on, and we've got a lot to cover today. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. I have one little caveat with the introduction. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You said you said the uh, Israeli nuclear program. Oh, I'm sorry. The Iranian. The Iranian yes, nuclear program. Yes, my fault. I apologize. You know, I've been doing so much work this morning on this again to make sure. And there I mispronounced. Yes, the Iranian nuclear program, which of course is a huge threat to world security. And thank God for people like yourself and your co-workers and anyone else that's involved in taking care of this country because the you know the lord knows it's getting harder and harder uh you know to survive today with some of the people that are involved in world politics and so forth um art let's jump right into it here how long were you in the cia uh i spent seven years in the counterproliferation division and it, it, when did the uh the uh, proliferation division become part of the cia when was it created Oh, it was created around, oh, I want to say late 1990. Okay, so it's been around then for about 20 years or so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so definitely created out of necessity, uh, more or less just before the first Gulf War? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that time frame then that makes complete sense. Um, The book itself, Hollow Strength, can you, kind of a two-part question. A, why did you write the book? And B, what does it take to get permission from the CIA to, to, to write a book like this? Well, um, I wrote it just because, you know, I, 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 when I got out of the agency, I felt like I had, you know, some stories to tell. But frankly, and this goes to the second part of it, is that um, it's a lot easier to get permission to write stuff if you classify it as fiction. And, and they, the, the, the publication review board literally told me that. Uh, with several of the pieces I tried to write, they said, look, if you call things fiction, uh, we'll approve it much easier than if you call stuff uh, fact. <laughs> so um, they, they, their threshold for what they let through their system is much, much lower if you call it fiction. So it, it gives you a lot more freedom that way. And, and I'd have to guess then if, if um, you're writing a book like this, people in the know – uh, would be able to read between the lines a little bit and understand maybe who you're talking about, get an idea of an operation that might not, you know, that might have been going on. Not complete details, but just enough where they go, oh yeah, I, I do recognize that. 
Well, yes and no. I mean, okay. here, here's the thing is um, what I have the CIA guys doing is, is, is based in general upon, upon stuff that the CIA has been doing forever. I mean, having to deal with uh, people who are in bad situations and, and volunteer to work for the CIA or is, is very – I mean, that's what the CIA is there to do. And so – uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't write about a specific ongoing operation in a novel because then I would expose it. Yes. But it is definitely based on, in, in general terms, my own experience. And yeah, people would would realize, um, would recognize, um, especially people who know Iran, they would recognize names because since we don't have diplomatic relations with Iran, uh, I'm not bound the way that other people are bound, other novelists to not use the names of real people and put them in, in positions. Uh, most of my Iranian characters, the people who are at the top of them, uh, or I should say a lot of them, are based on real people, and I use their real names, mm-hmm. and I have attributed to them actions that they're uh, rumored to have done. So, like, one of the characters is a guy called Muhammad Ali Jafari, and he's the guy who runs Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, and, and that's exactly how I portray him. And uh, this is a guy who's... Uh, you know, in real life, uh, set up assassinations and bombings and all kinds of things, and I have him doing that kind of thing in the book. And I, I identify him by name, and so I don't have to worry about getting sued by this guy. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> he, might send, he might send a hit squad after me. That's yeah. a different thing. But <laughs> Well, that seems to be the Iranian way. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting because I think, I know I thought till just a moment ago, that uh, even if we didn't have diplomatic relations, that this would be something that would be somewhat censored. But you're saying that, that you can go out and basically name who you want to name in Iran because we don't have any diplomatic ties to them. Right, right. I mean, in, in order for them to sue me for slander, first they would have to reopen their embassy, re- reestablish diplomatic <laughs> relations, and then prove how I caused harm and a whole other things. Uh, you know, 500 other things would have to happen before uh, they could come after me for saying we don't like this book. So <laughs> Never going to happen, so I wouldn't worry yeah. about that. Um, the uh, counter-proliferation uh, division that you were a part of, give us an idea of what you guys do. What's the, obviously, the, you know, the mission itself is, is, I guess, to control nuclear weapons worldwide, but you focus in Iran. Are there other countries that you're also focusing in on at the same time? Actually, just uh, the, the mission is is bigger than just nuclear weapons. Okay. It's all it's all the things that you would call weapons of mass destruction. So, chemical weapons uh, go in there, biological weapons go in there, and then uh, delivery systems go in there. By which you mean, uh, you know, missiles, UAVs, anything that you could use to deliver those those things. So, uh, and then yeah, you you definitely look at. Um, at other countries. I mean, obviously, North Korea, uh, Pakistan, um, Syria. Uh, that's one of the ones that's been in the news a lot lately is everyone's concerned over, you know, everyone knows that Syria has chemical weapons. Since the regime's having so much trouble, they're wondering, you know, what's going to happen to the chemical weapons if, if Assad gets desperate. So you, you work on all of those sorts of things. Interesting. Anything... Oh, can you tell us a story without uh, without breaking any confidence there, something that uh, the general public wouldn't know about, a little bit of a scare uh, possibility, something that happened that you had to handle? Um, 
No, no. I mean, well, I'm, I'm hold on. Back, <laughs> back up, back up, and back up, and uh, uh, explain a little bit. I'll, I'll okay. see if there's something I can talk about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, give, if you can give us, you know, without giving great details, something that you know basically will say scared the hell out of you, or or something that you didn't see coming but got handled correctly. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> this, is, this is something that scared the hell out of me, and it had it only had per- peripherally to do um, with with my job. This was this was. Um, this is one of those trick areas that um, when it comes to um, what the CIA is allowed to report on, it, it has, to, has to have to do with um, someone overseas basically hurting you. The CIA is, is oriented towards, you know, foreign intelligence. So one of the weird things that um, uh, I found out about was a cyber attack, and this was several years ago, that happened against a U.S. facility. And it was a, it was a chemical plant, and thank goodness nothing happened, but a chemical plant lost control of its systems for about a half hour. Now, um, if you recall, Bhopal, India, yes. in the 1990s, uh, that ended up costing, uh, having about 18,000 dead in the long run. Uh, immediately, about 2,500 people died, but the cumulative effects within about a month were about 18,000 dead people. And uh, in that case, no one had taken over the plant. They just made some mistakes in the running. And so um, what scared the crap out of me about this chemical plant losing control of its systems was that at the time, and this was seven years ago, um, no one was reporting it to the federal government. I only found out about it by accident. Okay. <laughs> so that that has since been fixed, and so thank goodness it's it's that in that particular case it's no longer a concern. But um, you know, if you think about it, terrorists doesn't happen have to make and import weapons of mass destruction if they can. Um, simply take a chemical plant that's already in existence and, and doing business here and turn it into a giant weapon of mass destruction. So that was was one, that that little incident um, in, in, of someone taking over a chemical plant um, was one that, that scared the crap out of me. I can understand <laughs> that. And again, thank you for your service. Not the easiest job. Not many people would volunteer to do what you did. Um, I, I have to ask this. The uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, we went to war based on that information. Uh, how did we miss the boat on that one, Art? Well, you know, that's uh, that's a good question, and I'm glad we got a little bit of time because... We got uh, an hour. Go for it, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the answer to that is really there was a lot of... Um, kind of pressure in the way that analysis was put out there. A lot of the stuff that was released to the public was, you know, you had your CIA analysis, and they stripped all the caveats out. Like, there was quite a bit of stuff, which was from single sources, which was unconfirmed, and that's what the, the, the classified analysis read, is like, okay, we've had one person tell us X, Y, and Z. Um, 
But that stuff was stripped out of, for instance, when, when Colin Powell went before the U.N. to say, you know, we know this and this and this about um, Iraq's uh, WMD. They took all those nuances out of that. And so because, you know, they were trying to make a case as strong as possible. But uh, here's the thing, um, you know, in the 1990s, you know, in, in the Gulf War time, uh, you know, Saddam obviously had WMD. We knew he had him in the first Gulf War time, which I took part in, uh, because he had just used him a few years before on the Iranians, you know, he had, and not to mention on his own citizens. And then uh, subsequent to the Gulf War, when he was under sanctions there, uh, I think it was in 1994, uh, weapons inspectors discovered a trove of things called the chicken farm documents. Okay. And they were called the chicken farm documents because it was a bunch of biological uh, warfare um, stuff that had been hidden in a chicken farm. This was when the the UN weapons inspectors were on the verge of declaring uh, Iraq a WMD free. This is this happened shortly before, and what happened is one of Saddam's cousins defected to Jordan, and he spilled his guts. And so uh, UN inspectors went over there, and they found this huge trove of documents on all the stuff that Iraq had been hiding. So uh, after that, you know, Iraq was busted again. And from then on, people weren't willing to take um, Saddam's, you know, word, oddly enough. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> when he was like, <laughs> <laughs> so what I found out, and I did take, I, 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 in addition to being part of the counterproliferation division, I was part of the Iraq survey group. And those are the people who, after we went in, in 2003, were on the ground doing the inspections um, in Iraq, looking for weapons and interviewing scientists and all that stuff. And so what we found out is that while Saddam definitely, definitely wanted to get his WMD back, the problem with why we thought they were there is, uh, in the case of the United States, he was deliberately creating an ambiguity. Like, he wasn't coming clean, you know, when, when, when we were doing a lot of pressure to, uh, you know, let inspectors in before the invasion and all that other stuff. Um, he was being deliberately ambiguous about having gotten rid of them, although he had gotten rid of them because he was deathly afraid of the Iranians. He didn't want the Iranians, his next-door neighbors, who you know hated him with a passion, to know that he did not have WMD anymore. So he was doing a lot of stuff that would create uh, ambiguity about him having that. Then the, the second part of the equation was that he was still smuggling in a bunch of stuff that he wasn't supposed to have. So he was he was evading the sanctions, and he was evading sanctions in a way that everyone considered very suspicious because uh, he was buying things that are called dual-use goods. Yep. So a dual-use good can be used, you know, on one hand, you know, if it's a certain kind of piping to, you know, set up a garden or to set up a chemical plant, um, you can use them for both things. But uh, having, having caught him several times in lies about his WMD program, everyone kind of assumed, well, if he's smuggling this stuff in and it's stuff he's not supposed to have, 
it's probably being used for a bad end because it's Saddam Hussein, let's be honest. <laughs> That's it. All right, we're going to roll into a break, then I want to come back and hit this again here. We're talking with R. Kellers, the former CIA case officer involved in the Counterproliferation Division, the division that handles nuclear weapons for the CIA. He worked pretty much exclusively with the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, we'll be back in a few moments. Wish there was a local hardware store that provided friendly, personal service, helping you find exactly what you need. Get you in and out of the store quickly with prices that meet or beat the big box stores. Well, look no further than Ace Hardware of Westchester. It'll soon be time to take the student and your family back to school. And did you know Ace Hardware is an official U-Haul truck rental location? They have vans, trucks, and tow dollies in a variety of sizes. And don't forget the August Hot Buys professional-grade decorative duct tape, which is very popular with the teenage girls in a variety of patterns. 50% off at only $3 a roll. 18-gallon clear tote storage bins, two for $12, or 72-quart size, two for $14. And a 5-in-1 inflatable chair bed with air pump, a special purchase price, $39.99. That's a 50% savings. Ace Hardware of Westchester is located on Strasburg Road, just past the Daily Local News, and they're open seven days a week for your convenience. Have a question? Call them, 610-344-4811. Ace and Ace Hardware of Westchester is the helpful place. It's Matt from Rivers Monroe. Check out Soundstage on WCHE 1520 Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. with new host Mike, my good friend from Rivers Monroe, as he talks with upcoming local artists and musicians. Again, that's Soundstage every Thursday at 4 p.m. with Mike Monroe on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. But is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? So is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have their own social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Good question. Man, you ask good questions. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's a great question. First time I've heard it on about 15 interviews. I'm very thankful to ask that. If you're looking for the latest in fashion, beauty, health, lifestyle, and entertainment with unique and interesting guests and the questions that you're always wondering that no one asks, then tune into The Brin Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12, and you can stay updated with the show at facebook.com forward slash The Brin Project. That's The Brin Project on Wednesdays at 12.15 and Saturdays at 12. Hi, everybody. I'm Summer Sanders, Olympic gold medal swimmer, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Really, Today, my guest is Art Keller. He's a former CIA case officer attached to the Counterproliferation Division of the CIA. He has written the book, Hollow Strength. Uh, Art, can you tell us where we can get a copy of the book? Sure. Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, in, uh, as a paperback and also as a Kindle book. You can get it on Barnes & Noble as a Nook book. Uh, and the book has its own website called Hollow Strength, and you can buy it there in all formats. And another thing that you can do on the book's website is there's a little movie there, like a little movie trailer. And there's also the first nine chapters available there as a free download at www.hollowstrength.com. So uh, you can check it out for free before you even uh, decide to buy it. Now, before the break, we were talking about uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. 
uh, how Saddam basically kind of played coy with it. Uh, what I'm curious about is we had the sanctions against him. We had him basically cordoned off throughout the 90s after the first Gulf War, but it, it did leak like a sieve. Stuff was coming in from Syria and other right. countries across the border. Well, what happened to the weapons of mass destruction that he did have? Because he never used, obviously, the chemical weapons during the uh, first Gulf War. Did he destroy these? Did we destroy them when we were there? Maybe, you know, kind of going in covertly and doing it? Or did he just, did they somehow just slip out of the country to, to another enemy? Right, right. No, I mean, um, and, and that was a question a lot of people had. Um, and this is what we found out when we were talking to scientists there on the ground. And I should say, you know, before before we went in, um, Iraqi weapon scientists were deathly afraid of talking to us because they knew that if word got back, not only would they be dead, their whole family would be dead. That all changed when we went in. And, 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 you know, when we were there on the ground running the country and we were telling them, hey, if you can lead us to weapons of mass destruction, not only will you get the equivalent of a million dollars, we'll relocate you out of the country and uh, basically set you up in, in kind of a perfect new life. Now, lots of people tried to take us up on that, but... You know, every lead of theirs that we checked out um, turned out to be someone just trying to bamboozle us. Well, what happened was all that, all the chemical weapons that he had had been disposed of in the 90s under UN supervision, uh, under their, under the, the eye of those um, weapons inspectors. And what he then told, basically, the, the sanctions had been biting them for a long time. So he told all his scientists, like, look, we got to get rid of these programs, not because um, he didn't want them, but because he wanted the sanctions lifted so that when the sanctions were lifted, he could immediately go back and reconstruct them. So he had, he had literally told a lot of the scientists, if, I, if the U.N. inspectors catch you with any evidence of WMD stuff, I'm going to kill you. So a lot of the people who had been attached to those programs took everything that they knew and, uh, and buried it. That's this weird thing that, that Iraqis did. Yeah. Um, they, had, they had a propensity for burying things. So like when they didn't want us to... Um, to get rid of, of jet planes or other things that they had, they literally buried them underground, ignoring the fact that, you know, uh, if you bury a jet plane, it's not going to do a whole lot for the jet plane. You're not going to be able to fly it after that. Yeah. <laughs> You've ruined it. So, yeah, no, they had a bunch of stuff uh, buried, and what we found was essentially they had the know-how and they had the intent to reconstitute, but they had gotten rid of their WMD because they wanted to get out from under the sanctions with the thought being once the sanctions are lifted, we can then build all this stuff again. But because he was being very coy about whether or not he had the WMD and he was being coy because he wanted his Iranian neighbors to think he still had because he was terrified of Iran. Yeah. It led to a whole long chain of, well, we think he has them, and, you know, uh, there, there were all kinds of things that, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, well, yeah, he could have used it for this reason or that reason, but, you know, one of the pieces of information I remember running across, you know, like 10 years ago now, 
was that, well, he just bought, uh, this would have been, I think, in, in late 2002, 100,000 gas, gas masks, which is what you need to obviously protect against chemical weapons use. And so, you know, we're all scratching our heads going, well, we don't use chemical weapons. Um, why would he buy those things unless they were for protecting his own citizens against chemical weapons if they were using them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, 10,000 is not exactly a lot either. Sounds more like close family, friends, and uh, dignitaries that would have got the masks. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it just turns out, um, because he was, basically, he was paranoid and he lied about everything, that um, he basically assumed that when we said we don't have chemical weapons and we're not going to use those on you, that, that we were lying. So he bought those <laughs> to, to, to protect against non-existent chemical weapons that we might use against him. But when, when you start to take those kind of pieces of, of evidence, if you don't have the, the context, you know, you can assemble a puzzle that, that, uh, whose solution points you in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, that's what happened then. Okay. Um, well, you know, so, it happened. I mean, that's just the way it goes, I guess. It... it, it um it was just hard for me because I said I bought into it back oh, then. I bought into it. I yeah. bought into it at you the know, time, and I had inf and you had the information. more information. Yeah. yeah. So well, let's, <laughs> well, let's turn then to Iran now. Again, that, that's the, the, the big power there in the Middle East. They're the ones causing the hassle. You have written the book, Hollow Strength, which is about the CIA and its workings with Iran or, say, against Iran. I need to ask you, who is in charge of Iran right now? Is it the president? Is it it? Uh, uh, President Ahmadinejad, is it uh, the Ayatollah, is it, yeah, it's, is it's, it the Mullahs? I mean, who really is running this country? It, it really is the supreme leader. The president gets into office <clears throat> based on his support uh, from the supreme leader. Um, and and the, the weird thing that a lot of people don't know about Ahmadinejad, excuse me, <clears throat> Ahmadinejad, is that um, he got into office with support from the Supreme Leader the first time, and then he, he had another uh, election in 2009. But since then, he and the Supreme Leader have been kind of fighting like cats and dogs. There's been a lot of, of struggle between them to the point where uh, last year the Supreme Leader arrested a lot of the supporters of Ahmadinejad's chief of staff. So um, th there's a lot of competition going on behind the scenes that we don't really hear about. What we hear about is is the crazy pronouncements coming out of Ahmadinejad's mouth. And so, like, w an example of this would have been uh, last year uh, he was his saying that uh, – the twelfth Imam, which is in their version, um, someone someone akin to Jesus, because their their um, their version of Islam says when the twelfth Imam comes back, it's kind of like the second coming of Christ. Um, it has a lot of parallels. So let's just put it that way. Okay. And so. Uh, Ahmadinejad was saying, basically, uh, his camp was circulating a DVD that says, well, we're in contact with this 12th imam, uh, because the 12th imam is supposed to be in, in hiding, but he will return again someday. Um, and so the... Um, 
and he was doing that to bolster for political reasons, not for religious reasons, to, to bolster himself in his fight with the Supreme Leader. And the Supreme Leader's camp went back and said, no, you're not. That's nonsense. And everyone should ignore what the president is saying on this. So Interesting. Yeah, there's some infighting going on there, but ultimately, um, since the money is all in the hands of the Supreme Leader um, and control of the biggest military and intelligence force, which are the Revolutionary Guards who feature very prominently in hollow strength, um, and, and again, uh, like I said, I use the name of the guy who controls those, uh, Muhammad Ali Jafari. Um, he features prominently in the book, and in real life, he's he's one of the guys uh, who may be running the country. And, and if you'd asked me a different question, which was, is the supreme leader running the country, or are the Revolutionary Guards, I would have to say I don't know, because looked at in different lights, one could say that even the supreme leader might be being eclipsed by those guys. Interesting. So no one's really sure it's, there's a lot of interfighting going on. Well, I mean, it's like the Revolutionary Guards get their legitimacy from, from, uh, from the Supreme Leader. You know, they're, okay. they're allegedly personally loyal to him. But it's a big organization. It's a rich organization. Um, and they've been getting their own way for 30 years now. And, uh, you know, past a certain point, you have to wonder who's, who's running who. Is, is the tail starting to wag the dog there? Is that uh, good or bad for uh, United States interests, for Western interests? Or, or is, it, is it so volatile it can go anyway? I would say the latter. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's good or bad, okay. um, except that it's probably bad for the average Iranian to have <laughs> these people running around with unchecked authority. The sanctions. Um, first question, I guess, would be, are they working? Second question would be, what exactly are we blocking from going into the country and or coming out? Well, um, it's a little bit different than the sanctions that we did on Iraq. Um, but basically, we, we are, not to put too fine a point on it, trying to strangle them economically at this point. So most of the earlier sanctions revolved around anything to do with their weapons of mass destruction programs, which is to say not only were we blocking you know, imports of certain kinds of chemicals so you couldn't make chemical weapons and a whole list of things that you can use to make nuclear weapons, but basically all arms and that kind of stuff. In more recent years, uh, particularly this year, we've just said, look, until you give up this, we're going to do everything that we can to strangle your economy, uh, not, not to, to um, you know, pretty it up a little bit. So we've been going after their oil sector, and uh, just the latest in that is that um, – and I think it was a pretty clever move. I hadn't heard of anyone else doing that. Is um, the UK, uh, you know, uh, the United Kingdom, which is the home to, you know, the financial and, and shipping capital of a lot of the world still. Uh, since the UK is one of the insurance capitals of the world, um, most maritime insurance is issued through UK firms. And the UK just said, well, you know what? We're no longer going to give insurance to tankers which visit Iran. Hmm. And since they get 80% of their revenue through oil, 
But if they can't get anyone to come buy their oil and they can't move it out, it doesn't matter how much they're producing if they can't sell it. So that, that was one of the, the uh, most recent things. And um, the, the question of is it working is, is always a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, you can get 20 different um, answers depending on who you talk to. Um, people who are in favor of sanctions will say, well, you know, if it's either sanctions or war, then sanctions are a better option because war carries a lot of costs in terms of Iran. Um, uh, you know, I do know, uh, I know a journalist uh, called Nikahan Kosar, who was, uh, he was an Iranian, and uh, he was thrown in a prison in 2003 in Iran, and he, he left since. He was thrown in prison for just for doing a cartoon that they didn't like. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's that's what you get when you have a country like that. Exactly. So he was thrown into prison, but you know he he emigrated, and he's uh, he's a journalist up in Canada who covers Iran, and he's a political cartoonist. Um, and uh, but you know he still has a lot of friends and family and relatives there, and he was talking to people, and they were saying, "Oh, uh, make sure when you go to Washington, you advocate um, for tighter sanctions." And he was like, "What? Why? Why are you saying that?" <laughs> and here's the thing: it's like the way sanctions are configured, um, there are winners and losers, and in Iran. Um, a lot of the sanctions have been targeting the people who are currently in power. So what that has been doing behind the scenes is actually giving some economic advantage to those who oppose those who are in power. Um, one thing that we always forget um, from the outside is how uh, complex and Byzantine both business and politics there. So there are people within Iran who are like, well, yeah, uh, increase the sanctions because you're hurting the business interests of uh, my enemy, <laughs> and that makes me happy. <laughs> no, that makes sense. There's always a flip side to every decision and every move you make. You just yeah. got to take a look at it and decide which one is going to be the better option for you. We're talking to R. Keller. He is the former CIA case officer for the Counterproliferation Division of the CIA. He has written the book Hollow Strength. It is a spy espionage thriller about the CIA and Iran. We'll be back in a few moments. The Habitat for Humanity Restore has opened their second location at 345 Scarlet Road in Kenneth Square in the former Acme Building in the new Garden Shopping Center on the old Baltimore Pike. They're accepting donations of gently used cabinetry, furniture, appliances, and clothing for resale to the community. So help the new Habitat fill their stores so they can continue to build affordable housing in Chester County. Habitat will accept donations Tuesday through Saturday from 9 to 3. Hi, I'm Ann Murphy, Certified Holistic Health Coach. Have you ever wished you had a personal owner's manual? Well, check out my show, New Approach Wellness. We'll talk about how food changes everything, thoughts, feelings, actions, and outcomes. We'll learn about the food mood connection, cravings, and how to connect your mind with your body. So join me here at WCHG on Wednesdays at 4 and learn how to tune into your personal owner's manual. I'm feeling sexy and free. 
August is Pennsylvania Produce Month. Sweet corn, tomatoes, peppers, cantaloupes, and more. Pennsylvania vegetables are at their best right now. I find real bargains on local produce in August when the season's at its peak. So I buy enough to can and freeze for the winter. Pennsylvania vegetables are high quality and farm fresh. They're not trucked thousands of miles across the country. Our family gets fresh PA preferred vegetables at our local farmer's market, roadside stand, or supermarket. Visit paveggies.org for new veggie recipes and learn why Pennsylvania preferred vegetables are simply delicious, simply nutritious. Hi, I'm Terry Reeves from Battleground, and you are listening to WCHE 1520 a.m. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is Art Keller, who is the former CIA case officer attached to the Counterproliferation Division of the CIA. He has written the book, Hollow Strength, which is a espionage spy thriller about the CIA and Iran. Uh, Art, tell us again how we can get a copy of the book. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon, or you can get it at Barnes & Noble as a Nook book for people who have a, a Nook or an iPad. But you can get it uh, in all forms, uh, hard copy, uh, Kindle book, Nook book, uh, PDF, from the book's website, www.hollowstrength.com. And that also has the first nine chapters available for free there as a free download to check that out. With Iran right now, now uh, everything that's going on, the sanctions, uh, the, the obviously watching uh, in case there has to be an attack of any kind. I know Israel is always poised to do just that. I guess my question would be, for Iran, is there any advantage for them to reopen one-on-one -on -one talks with the United States to get away from the... Uh, uh, the relationship where we don't speak anymore, would, again, would it be to their advantage to go one-on-one -on -one to reopen that? Well, uh, yes and no. Yes to, it would, I mean, we are strangling their economy. And, and, and they, they put on a brave front about it to their own citizens, but they are paying a really, really high price. They're getting in terms of 30% unemployment. Um, their currency has dropped almost, um, you know, 80% in value in the past few years. So um, they keep on saying, you know, that there's nothing that you can do to force us to the table. But um, here's, here's the problem. And personally, I think it goes back a lot to, um, to the supreme leader. Again, one of those weird complexities is when you have a name, uh, a title like the Supreme Leader, you would think, oh, well, that means he is the top guy in Iran. And in a political sense, he is. But in a, religion, a religious sense, there are a lot of ayatollahs who don't agree with him because he is basically, he self-promoted himself to the rank of Grand Ayatollah. Um, he didn't earn it. And to earn it, what you basically have to do is years of study and writing. And essentially, he, he declared himself, like, I have a, a degree, uh, a Ph.D. In, um, in Shia Islam. But he didn't actually earn the degree. And so all the people who did earn the degree do not care for him. So a lot of the religious establishment is actually against him. Why this matters is because 
he has said repeatedly nuclear weapons are bad, and he has issued a religious ruling saying nuclear weapons are bad, and and that's one of their one of their responses that they keep on giving when we say, you know, tell us about your nuclear weapons program. They keep on saying, what nuclear weapons program? We've told you the Supreme Leader says nuclear weapons are bad. So in a climate where a lot of a lot of the other religious leaders in the country call into question his authority, he's publicly gone on the record for almost a decade saying, well, I said nuclear weapons are bad, therefore we don't have a bomb program. So he can't really open up about their nuclear weapons programs without saying, I've been lying uh, in the mantle of my religious authority. I've been lying to everyone for 10 years. So he's kind of painted himself into a corner, and in doing so, he's painted all of Iran into a corner. So that's, that's, that's really bad for Iran because, again, as, as long as he keeps on doing that, we're going to keep strangling their economy. Now, and that's the worst thing in the world for the Iranian people. But, um, you know, he's just acting to keep himself in power. So well, that leads to my next question. And a large part of the, of the population of Iran is 35 or younger. What are the chances of a revolution occurring here? They had some little outbreaks within the last couple years. But, you know, what are the chances of the younger generation, you know, uh, pulling an uprising here, uh, another Arab Spring, so to speak? Because if they're not... There's not enough jobs. If there's no money, they can't take care of their families. Uh, you know, is that something I would have to say that the United States is actively promoting somehow from within? Um, well, we are in a certain sense, um, but not in the sense of trying to directly overthrow. Um, like one of the things that we are doing, and this is being done not by the CIA, but by the State Department, is we're sponsoring the development of a program called Commotion. And what Commotion is, is a project to create a kind of portable Internet server that is outside the hands of the government that can be smuggled into, say, Iran or Syria or any country where the government is trying to cut off their citizens' flow of information and creates a kind of Wi-Fi network outside of the hands of the government that they can't control. Because one of the things Iran is trying to do is they said last year, essentially, we're going to build a private Internet. And uh, what they meant by that is we're going to cut Iranian citizens' Internet access off completely so that it's only what we approve. And, of course, we don't want that because, yeah, I mean, as you said, all those younger people um, – they, they actually are, are much more in favor of the U.S. than their government would like. Um, they have, you know, friends and relatives in the U.S. The U.S. is home to the biggest uh, expatriate community of Iranians in the world. And, you know, they talk to their relatives and friends, and, uh, you know, they get the real story that um, – you know, Islam is not persecuted in the U.S., that it's great to live here, and that, you know, uh, the U.S. would be Iran's friend if only Iran could kind of straighten up and fly right. <laughs> well, let's um, let's talk their nuclear program now, the one that they deny that exists and the, whatever they are working on is for peaceful purposes and humanitarian reasons. Art, how far along are they? Well... <clears throat> If you're asking, do they know how to build a bomb? They already, excuse me, frog in my throat. They already know how to build a bomb now. What everyone is kind of 
worrying about is how much fissile material do they have. And so that's kind of it's all revolving around that. Um, to build a bomb, or I should say to build a bomb in any um, way that it's small enough to be portable, you need to get your fissile material above 90% enrichment. So we're talking basically a suitcase-type bomb, dirty bomb. Well, no, even even something that you mount on a missile or an airplane. But, but they, it, don't um, have a tra they don't have a delivery mechanism at this point, correct? Well, they do have missiles that you could put a bomb on. They have, well, let me put it this way. They have missiles they could put one of our bombs on, because our bombs are miniaturized. Okay. But the first time you build a bomb, you usually build a great, big, clumsy thing, because there's a learning curve. So, I mean, I don't know if you ever see historical pictures of the fat man yep. and the little boy. They yep. were great, big, giant bombs, because um, the first time you make something, you kind of over-engineer it, and you make it a little bit more than it has to be. But, yeah, I mean, they know, um, and, and I'm going to say this with a little irony, but it's not rocket science to make a nuclear weapon. And, and, and that's true, because if you think of it, we had a nuclear weapon in 1945, but we didn't have successful ballistic missiles until really in the 60s. So it's not that complicated to build a nuclear weapon in the physics and engineering sense. What's really complicated is getting your hand on the fissile material. And and so that's what we've been fighting to keep them from doing, getting enough of the fissile material, and that's what they've been trying to sneak around on. Right now, they have a big stockpile of material enriched to 20%. You really can't make a weapon with that stuff. It has to be closer to 90, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But what, what everyone's afraid of their doing is saying after they have, you know, a nice big chunk of stuff at 20% is, is then saying, you know what, uh, we've decided we're going to withdraw from the non-proliferation treaty and kick out the inspectors um, and then just start uh, taking that stockpile of 20% and pushing it up to 90%. And so from the point in time they decide to do that, it could be as little as two to three months for them to get a bomb. We're speaking with Art Keller today. He is the former CIA case officer attached to the counter-proliferation division. He has written the book, Hollow Strength. It is about the CIA and Iran. We'll be back in a few moments. What is the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of Gettysburg? Is it our rich Civil War history, battlefields, and museums? Or is it the beautiful vineyards, wine tours, and our wonderful restaurants? How about our cozy bed and breakfast? Or the beautiful hotels? With everything Gettysburg has to offer, the first thing you think of might be what a great, affordable destination we are. Come visit us and find out for yourself. Log on to Gettysburg.travel and discover your Gettysburg. The results are in, and you can experience the thrill of experiencing Kyle's Auto Tag and Insurance, award-winning service for all your auto tag needs, or the agony of going anywhere else. Kyle's has been voted the gold medal winner as the top auto tag and notary service in Chester County in the Daily Local News Reader's Choice Award poll. With Kyle's 30 years of experience and his connection with the Pennsylvania Department of Motor Vehicles, he can do it all. Cars, trucks, small trailers, or even a fleet of corporate trucks. Kyle or his manager, John, will make it a smooth transaction. Need something notarized? Kyle 
Kyle can do that too. Kyle has two locations to serve you. The original location in the Gay Street Plaza in Westchester and their newest location in Thorndale at 57 North Bailey Road near Rafiti's Restaurant and Brenda's Vac Shop behind Kmart. And Kyle's is always less than the big wig. If you let your auto registration expire, Kyle can make you legal on the spot. Kyle's Auto Tag and Insurance, because you're entitled to great service. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Art Keller. He is the former CIA case officer who was attached to the Counterproliferation Division of the CIA. He has written the book, Hollow Strength. It is about the CIA and Iran. It's an excellent spy espionage thriller. Again, Art, tell us how we can get a copy and give us uh, your website. I know you've done a lot more things, and I think you run a security business. Am I correct on that? Oh, I have a private in investigation firm, uh, you know, and, and I'm a writer and have been on intelligence and national security, you know, and, and, and commentator. So I've done stuff on CNN and uh, written for, you know, a variety of outlets, uh, the New York Times, the Daily Beast, that kind of thing. All, all those links can be found on my personal website, artkeller.com. And so you can see my appearances on uh, the news and, you know, radio and uh, see links to all that written stuff, especially um, most of the stuff I've been doing lately has been for Foreign Policy magazine. But uh, uh, that's my personal website, artkeller.com. And then the book's website, which is separate from that, although you can find links to it on my own website, is hollowstrength.com. But uh, for those people who don't want to necessarily just remember that, you can, you can just Google uh, Art Keller or Google Hollow Strength on Amazon's website, and it'll take you right to the book, and you can find it there. Now, A lot of people seem to find it easier to get it on Amazon than from the book's own website. Oh, <laughs> Amazon's great. You can get uh, everything's a little bit less expensive. You can get good used books. I get 95% of my books I get through Amazon. Yeah, and, if it's, and if it's outdated, you can still probably find a copy somewhere on Amazon. Before the break, we were talking about Iran's nuclear program. Now, my question is, if we have these sanctions against them, and I'm assuming that the Western world is, is all a part of this, uh -huh. where is the material leaking in from? What is Russia's influence here, in particular Russia? Russia, you know... Russia is is kind of like uh, <laughs> it's acting like a bratty teenager, and it has ever since Vladimir Putin, you know, came into power. He's a former KGB officer, and he grew up and, and grew to an adulthood and immaturity as a, as a KGB case officer. So basically, kind of my counterpart. But those people were much more ideologically trained. And, you know, he still thinks in terms of the U.S. as the main enemy and put that in, in capital letters in his mind. So his foreign policy since getting into power is basically, I'm pissed that we lost the Cold War and I'm going to do whatever I can to spike the wheels of the U.S. So he's, just, so, so he's just being a thorn in the ass. Basically, yeah. And, and that, could, that analysis covers almost every issue between the U.S. and Russia. I mean, they're, they're obstructionist 
simply for the sake of being obstructionist. How far is he willing to go, though, Art? I mean, this is a dangerous game with high stakes. Well, you know, one of the things that they've been doing is they've been playing, um, they've been essentially buying Iran off by supplying them weapons and technology and other stuff for quite a long time. So their thought was always, um, we don't have to worry about, and this is the way that they would put it, we don't have to worry about the crazy mullahs. We'll just buy them off. So that has been their tactic. So they've been supplying nuclear technology and weapons technology um, as much as they can. And, um, and the, the last little bit in the equation is they're not going to be very cooperative with uh, us cracking down on the Iranian regime because a lot of the same tactics that Iran does, uh, in particular the way they essentially have a police state that they've turned against their own citizens, Russia does that too. And so, you know, they don't want us cracking down on those kind of things, those kind of human rights abuses, because anyone would reasonably say, well, Russia, you can't really condemn Iran for doing the same things that you're doing yourself. Interesting. Now, what about China? Where do they sit on the, on this? Are they are they also helping supply goods and services that may be needed to, to help with the uh, nuclear program, or are they or are they staying outside of it a little bit more? Well, they definitely supply goods and services. With um, you know, I, I got to say, in the case of China, they have a much less sinister motive. They're not out to screw the U.S. the way Russia is. They're just out to make money. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, it has a similar effect. Um, they also don't want to condemn Iran for the kind of human rights abuses that China is doing itself, you know, throwing protesters in, in the jail, censoring the Internet, uh, torturing people, all that kind of stuff. You know, they do, too. So, so they don't want us cracking down on Iran for that kind of thing because uh, they're not going to vote for cracking down on Iran for those kind of abuses since they do them as well. But uh, China's main concern is, you know, they have a big and growing economy, and they need oil to fuel it. Fuel it. And so their number one thing is, where are we going to get oil? We need resources, and Iran has them. So as long as Iran is selling China all the oil it wants, China is not going to support sanctions against Iran that, that tightly. Uh, they may agree to kind of cosmetic sanctions, but... Essentially, China wants Iran's oil and will do what it takes to get it. Um, it, it but it's, it's purely commercial motives. It's not, like I said, against in the case of Russia, uh, they just want to screw us. Interesting. So there's still a thorn. There's still a thorn there with Putin. All these years, this yeah. guy can't get past it and decide no. it's, it's – I, I, I've read a few books about him. i got a couple of friends of mine that are also writers, and they've written some books about him. and. And it's just interesting to me, the guy seems almost paranoid to some oh, extent. Oh, he's, 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 he's definitely paranoid. And, and they had some, some, some unrest in uh, Russia in the past couple of years, and they've had some uh, demonstrations. And uh, one of the books that came out last year, I can't remember the title, but it was talking about it. And it was saying, you know, people close to Putin say he's absolutely convinced these demonstrations are happening because... The West and the U.S. is sponsoring that as some sort of action against him, and it just doesn't even occur to him that people might actually be unhappy, and that's why they're demonstrating. <laughs> let's, uh, it let's, has to be a plot. No, of from course, the US. it has to be a plot. Why can't people, people just be upset with the conditions they're living in? You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's got to be a conspiracy <laughs> against them. Well, let's turn our attention to 
what I like to say is uh, the counterpart, the United States in the Middle East, which would be Israel. Now, of course, uh, Iran has made the statement, and I can't quote it exactly, but basically, we want to destroy you. Uh, we do not want you on the face of the earth. We want you completely annihilated. And, you know, you can't blame Israel for being the way they are. I mean, they're surrounded by basically people who hate them. Yeah. What I have to believe that there is no possible way, with or without the United States permission, will Israel allow a fully capable nuclear Iran. They didn't do it with Iraq in 81. I know there's been a few other things that I've read about over the years that they've gone in and have stopped uh, 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 nuclear programs in other countries. Yeah, what, in Syria just two years ago. Syria just two years ago. What is the take on this? Now, again, from the different people I talk to, and I'm not nowhere near highly connected as you are, but I've heard stories that the Israeli Air Force is running uh, test missions to be able to fly from Israel nonstop, be able to fuel, refuel in, um, in air to take out the nuclear facility and then get back. I assume they have uh, Mossad agents involved and special operations agents involved. Basically, I guess the question is going to be, how far is Israel willing to go and, and what will the United States do? Well, I, I think ultimately... Um, that, that's really up to the senior levels of, of Israelis, cabinet of Benjamin Netanyahu, and the people in there. Uh, I was just reading an article this morning before, uh, before we started talking about how even within Israel there's a big back and forth because some of the people in the Israeli defense forces are saying, you know, uh, we, should, we should be a little bit cautious because this is going to be a very tough nut to crack. And in contrast, to like the strikes that we we just alluded to, the one against the Osiric reactor in um, in Iraq in the 80s, and then the one just two years ago against that building, which was, as far as everyone can determine, that was a a nuclear reactor, a plutonium producing nuclear plant being built with North North Korean assistance. Um, Basically, you send in a strike of jets, you blow it to pieces, uh, problem solved. Uh, the thing is, Iran has located their nuclear facilities all over the place, so it's not going to be a fast in and out. Um, you know, their biggest enrichment facility is buried under a mountain. So um, the, the, the thing is, if, if I believe that there would have already have been strikes if it were, you know, all concentrated in one nice, uh, easy, tidy place. But they're not. They're scattered all over Iran. So it would be multiple waves of strikes. And, of course, Iran has decent uh, anti-aircraft defenses. So um, Israel would probably take, you know, a lot of losses. And that's, I think, what's holding it up from the Israeli viewpoint is this would have to be a kind of massive undertaking, uh, the likes of which they haven't done before. Um, you know, they have a very capable military, but it's, it's oriented to striking back against neighbors who attack them, not to do the kind of force pro projection stuff that the U.S. does. Yeah, they're more defense-oriented. Right. So it's, it's a whole other thing to take your Air Force and, and do um, a, a whole series of strikes. Um, 
with people shooting a bunch of anti-aircraft missiles and, and, and jets and then, you know, assuming that goes on, if, if uh, Israel starts striking, you can, you can bet that uh, Iran is going to start lobbing Shahab 3s back at Israel. Uh, armed with, you know, who knows what. Um, we know they used to have chemical weapons. We're not really sure about the state of their chemical stockpile, to tell the truth these days. But uh, so I think that's what's holding people up. They, they, there is a definite uh, feeling that, yes, we do not want a nuclear-armed Iran. What's holding people up is just kind of the realization that this is going to be a really, really challenging operation that we're not really optimally set up to do. So I think that's probably the main force that's causing them to hesitate. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, listen, I, I'm sorry. There's only 30 seconds left, and I have to ask you, can I give you a call later in this week? I'd like to have you back on sometime the next couple of weeks. Sure, that'd be yeah, great. Because there's so many things I didn't get a chance to get to. Uh, we've been talking to R. Keller today. He is a former CIA case officer attached to the Counterproliferation Division of the CIA. He has written the book Hollow Strength. It is about the CIA and Iran. Real quick, R., tell us one more time how we can get a copy of the book. You can get uh, Hollow Strength on Amazon.com. You can also buy it directly from the book's website. And for people who like just a good spy thriller, but one that's kind of authentic because it's based on a lot of my own experience, then uh, go to Amazon or go to HollowStrength.com to go pick up a copy. Thanks, Art. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, John. It was great being on. Thanks.